0: This is going to be a good series. We're kicking off the series today, Jesus Ain't Woke. But before we get into that, I want to say thanks so much for being here today. You could have chose to be anywhere, and you chose to be here with us. I say this every week, but I truly am grateful. Why don't you go ahead and nudge somebody next to you and just say, you made a good choice by being here today. If you're joining us online, I want to say hey to you too. Thanks so much for being with us. It's great to hear the word of God over the internet, but if you ever have the chance to be with us here in the room, come on, come be with us. We'd love to have you. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. Beth isn't here today because one of our little ones woke up with a slight fever. That's the only symptom she has, but we kept her home today and Beth is staying at home with her. No worries though. Something has to break, right? I'm going to go home. They're going to be all better. It's going to be awesome. Well, here at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. And in this series, I'm going to help you know God by exposing fake Christianity. All right. This, you know, this misled group of people, they call themselves woke because here's what they've discovered. They say they're woke because they've discovered that the Bible is out of touch with modern Christianity. They're almost right. They just have it backwards. Modern Christianity is out of touch with the Bible, right? It is. Yet, how can you even call it Christianity if the Bible is not the ultimate guidebook? You're only a Christian if you believe in and follow Jesus. And let me show you a little something about Jesus. In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, when it says the Word, it literally means the Bible, in the beginning, the words that, were, that are written in our Bible, they already existed. They were with God, and they actually were God. And you keep reading, you find out that the Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Before Jesus became flesh, he was the Word, and he still is the Word. That's who Jesus is. So you really can't yourself, call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't follow the Bible, When it comes down to it, woke Christianity isn't Christianity at all. It's a fake version of Christianity that either denies or misuses the word of God in favor of making sure nobody gets their feelings hurt. That's what's going on. I'll give them this, though. They're clever. They're very clever. They say a lot of things that sound really good, and they seem right. You're like, oh, it sounds kind of good. seems kind of right. But all of it leads to destruction. All of it. I'm talking about eternal damnation. Let's get real. People will go to hell for eternity because they've believed the woke ideology. That's how serious this is, but not on my watch. I'm going to expose it and I'm going to expose it and I'm going to keep on exposing it for the evil that it is. I wrote a book about it. I'm doing a series about it. I'm creating a YouTube channel about it. I'm going to war with woke Christianity because I don't want people to go to hell. If you wonder what my motivation is, that's my motivation. I don't want people to go to hell because they've bought into this thing that sounds so good, but it's just empty human thinking. I'm here to help you follow Jesus for real so that we can spend eternity together in heaven and take a lot of people with us. Y'all, this message is my God-given assignment at this season of my life. Jesus ain't woke, and I will do whatever it takes to get it out to everybody who needs it. So let's go. Part one of Jesus ain't woke. I want to start by telling you a couple of stories. There was a time in the Old Testament when the Israelites were happily living in Egypt because they had a good relationship with the Pharaoh and the the government at the time. And the Israelites were so good at multiplying, they filled the land. And they became very powerful. So on a side note, Beth and I must be Israeli with how fast we've been able to multiply. It's got to be. And she'll probably... She'll probably kill me for telling you this, but the other night I went to bed before 8 p.m. because I wasn't feeling well, and not an hour or so later, Beth is waking me up because she wants to practice multiplying. (laughs) Y'all, this woman is obedient to the word of God. She's so obedient. Babe, I know you're watching. I hope you enjoyed that. True story, though back to the story in the Bible, though. (laughs) The Israelites multiplied so much that the next Pharaoh became intimidated by their size and their strength. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. That's when slavery came into play. And they tried to wear them down with, with brutal demands and with crushing labor. And I'm guessing the goal was, like, if they could wear them out enough, they wouldn't have the energy to go home and multiply. Anybody work so hard, you don't have the energy to go home and multiply? Funny thing is, the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied. (laughs) I don't know how they had the energy for all that, but they did. And that made Pharaoh even more nervous. So Pharaoh issued an evil order to the midwives. And here's what he said. It's found in Exodus 1.16. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. These days... They'd probably just do what the government said and misquote scripture by saying, you know, we're just supposed to obey the governing authorities. But thankfully, these midwives weren't woke. They disobeyed the Pharaoh and they let all the babies live. As you can imagine, King Pharaoh didn't appreciate their defiance. So he ordered his army to go find every Hebrew baby boy and throw them in the Nile River. Why were all the baby boys killed? Because when the enemy is threatened, he kills babies. Now let's fast forward to when Jesus is born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. All these people started showing up to look for the new king of Israel so they could worship him. And when King Herod caught wind of this, he got a little jealous. I mean, he didn't want anybody else being called king, right? So he called a private meeting with the wise men to find out where Jesus was born. And here's what he told them. He said, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. You think that's what he was really going to do? No, he wanted to find Jesus so that he could kill him. And after the wise men found Jesus, they were warned in a dream not to return to King Herod, and so they didn't. Don't you just love these examples of obeying God, even when it means defying the government? Y'all should remember that. Because you might need it. (laughs) But how did King Herod feel about all of this defiance? How do you think Biden would feel about a little bit of defiance to his crazy executive order? He'd probably feel like Herod. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. Y'all know that the Christians can outwit anything that's going on right now. All right. Anyway, he sent his soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Sound familiar? Once again, when the enemy is threatened, he kills babies. Now let's fast forward to 1969. A woman became pregnant with her third child. She wanted an abortion, but she lived in Texas where abortion was illegal, except to save a mother's life. So she filed a lawsuit claiming that the Texas abortion laws were unconstitutional You've probably referred this, heard this referred to as Roe versus Wade. Just 4 years later in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in her favor and gave Americans the green light to kill as many babies as they wanted to, as long as they did it before the third trimester. Since then, more than 62 million Americans have been killed before they even had a chance to live. 62 million That's the city of Tulsa 62 times over. Do you think the enemy is threatened by America? Maybe not so much recently, but yes, he is. And when the enemy is threatened, he kills babies. So let's talk about why the enemy is always after babies. When a man loves a woman... It's a well-known song for a good reason, because that actually is how God designed marriage. When a man loves a woman, he leaves his old life behind, and he becomes one with his wife. A sacred relationship is established when the man enters into his wife, and the two become one flesh. Leave it up to God to make this the most pleasurable experience that we have here on the earth, right? And as if that's not enough, he rewards us for being intimate, divine multiplication. Yep, I'm talking about those kiddos, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. Marriage is a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. No wonder these two things are always under attack. But when it comes down to it, the enemy only hates one thing, humankind. He hates us. We were made in God's image. So when Satan sees us, he sees God. Needless to say, he's a little bit jealous of us. Satan doesn't just hate Christians. He hates everyone. Everyone. He wants us all dead. Yet God gave us this amazing ability to multiply. So what do you think Satan's after most? Our children. He's got to stop the multiplication. He's got to stop it. And he has a lot of strategies for this. Here's one. Create a culture where kids are a nuisance so people don't want to have kids and they push aside the ones that they do have. Satan also works to make society numb to killing babies through abortion. And he takes it a step further by normalizing food and drugs that ruin the reproductive system. Oh, and the one he's most proud of. It's even called the Pride Movement. He's so proud of it. Satan's a pro at promoting homosexuality, so reproduction is impossible. The challenges we're up against all lead to one thing. Do you all see it? The destruction of children. What's worse is the woke church plays along, and it starts innocently. We kick our kids out of main service because, so they can't distract from the message. After all, kids are a nuisance, right? And then the pastor stops talking about God's design for marriage and family. After all, that's a sensitive subject, and we don't want anybody to feel excluded, right? And abortion is definitely not going to be talked about because the woke church would rather bow to the God of this world than admit that abortion is murder. It's crazy. It's crazy. The Christians that dare to talk about these issues, they're accused of focusing too much on the big sins, abortion and homosexuality, just picking on them. They say sin is sin, and if you talk about one, you have to talk about them all equally. But listen to me, don't let them make you feel bad for trying to save babies. Don't let them make you feel bad for trying to rescue people out of the bondage of homosexuality because it's bondage. Let me explain why their accusations are nonsense. In the culture we live in, abortion is being pitched as a woman's right. And homosexuality has its own advocacy group to make sure everybody sees it as normal sexual expression. If you look at culture's definition, neither abortion nor homosexuality is sin. But what about some other sins like rape or murder? They don't yet have their advocacy group trying to convince the public that it's okay. Christians and non-Christians agree, right? Both of those are sin and they even deserve punishment. But here's the deal. As a true follower of Jesus, we are advocates of righteousness. We want nothing more than the will of God to be accomplished on this earth. So when Satan tries to destroy people with normalized sin, we issue a counterattack and we expose sin so people can be led to true freedom in Jesus Christ. Because if you leave them in their sin, they can't have that freedom. The woke church makes sin comfortable. So everybody feels included. But Jesus' church makes sin uncomfortable. So everyone recognizes their need for a savior. Not to put them down but to show them their need for a savior. But wait, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? That's a scripture everybody knows, right? Even the unbelievers. Bible says not to judge. But how do you explain when Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment? To figure this out, let's take a look at the most popular misquoted scripture of all time. Do not judge anyone, anytime, for any reason. Not Jesus. That's just how we quote it, and then it gets spread around like a disease. But here's what Jesus really said, judge not that you be not judged. And from this one isolated scripture, I can see why people think Jesus is telling us not to judge anyone, anytime, for any reason. But we have to keep reading. I mean, Jesus keeps talking. This is one sentence of an entire like section of scripture. And here's what he says next for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Okay. I'm starting to get it. Like if I decide to judge, I better be prepared to receive that same type of judgment in return. So let's keep reading because Jesus gives us an example of what he means. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. So to understand scripture, it's crucial to know who it's written to. And at first we're like, oh, Jesus must be talking to everyone here. It seems like he's saying, nobody judge anybody anytime for any reason so that we can all live our lives unchecked and happy and not making each other upset. But Jesus wasn't given this instruction to everyone. He was talking to a specific group of people, hypocrites. He even calls them out by name in the next verse, hypocrite. <laughs> first, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, I should have deleted that second part, right? I mean, we can't have Jesus telling us it's actually okay to remove the speck from our brother's eye. We just got to get that plank out of our own eye first. So let's go back to that first verse, now that we have more understanding. Judge not that you be not judged. Jesus is basically saying, hey, hypocrites, since you don't want to judge yourself, stop judging others. The problem is hypocrites don't know how to stop judging others. It's how they make themselves feel good <laughs> about their own mess. But there is a right way to judge. First, judge yourself. Am I pursuing God's will? Am I doing what God asked me to do? Am I obedient to the word of God? And once you establish self-judgment, then you're ready to help somebody else out of their mess. Your mindset's completely different at this point. I mean, you used to point out people's mess to make yourself feel better. Anybody done that before? I've been there. It's ugly. But now the only reason you're going to point out somebody else's mess is because you want to help lead them into the same freedom that you have. Come over here. It's better here. So let's look at Jesus' instruction once again. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So now that we know what Jesus is talking about, now we, now we get it. we got to quit judging others to make ourselves look better. Instead, we judge with righteous judgment by judging ourselves first and then helping other people after that. You know, the damage that's been done to our nation, what we're looking at, what we're facing right now, and what's been done all around the world is a product of the woke church. The woke church isn't new. It's been around for a long time. It's just kind of got its, it's got its name now. It's finally been named. We bought into the lie that you can't judge anyone, anytime, for any reason. So we let everything go unchecked. We don't call anything out. We sit back and we watch as our fellow believers live in sin, and then they tell other people to live in sin. And we just watch as if we can't do anything about it. But what do you have when you take away righteous judgment? Lawlessness in the church. What if we shut down the court system and got rid of law enforcement? What would happen? Lawlessness everywhere, everywhere. What does Jesus say about lawlessness? It's a part of his description of the end times in Matthew 24. He says, and then the end times many will be offended. Didn't we talk about that this morning? They'll betray one another. They'll hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. It's called the woke church. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Why do we ignore sin? Why have we been doing that all this time? Because the woke church says that's how you love people, right? But what does ignored sin do? What does this lawlessness actually accomplish? We think that ignoring sin is loving people, but it actually destroys love, right? Because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. It's up to the church to judge with righteous judgment so true love doesn't completely fade away. There's a counterfeit out there. Looks a lot like love, but it's not. It's up to us to push against lawlessness so the gospel can be preached to the entire world. You have a responsibility to judge yourself. You do. You should look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, are you following God's will? Are you obedient to the Bible? What are you doing, man? And then you have a responsibility to judge the things around you with righteous judgment. Y'all, it's time to issue a counterattack. We can't just sit back while the enemy destroys our children. We can't. We must confront that progressive sexual agenda and we gotta reestablish God's design for sex. One man and one woman committed to each other in marriage. The best place to start is in our schools. Parents, you need to stand up and you need to speak out against woke sex education. And you need to help the schools establish. God's designed for sex in their sex education. We need to be teaching our kids one man and one woman committed to each other in marriage. That's the only way to find fulfillment. You also need to teach your kids that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. God designed you to be the gender that you are. He designed you that way. You're not going to find fulfillment trying to be anything else. We got to be telling our kids this. Parents, this is up to you. Your kids are going to be lied to at school. They're going to be told that they can choose their gender. They're going to be told it's okay if they're gay. The list goes on. They're going to be lied to at school. And I hate to nail you to a wall right now, but I have to. If your kids believe in this nonsense whenever they hear it, it's because you, as their parent, haven't been filling their ears with the truth from God's word. Hurts, doesn't it? So start now. Tell them the truth every single day of their life. Tell them the truth. As many times as they hear those lies at school and on TV, you need to tell them the truth. Counterattack, right? You got to tell them the truth. They need to hear the truth from you. So say it and keep saying it. And speaking of destroying the works of the devil, we have to put a stop to abortion. This is like a stain on America, We gotta make it known that abortion is not a woman's right. It's murder. That's what it is. We gotta stop voting for government officials who agree with abortion. That should be an immediate disqualification. Yep, not voting for them. We gotta vote for people who will stop being passive about the slaughter of innocent children and will actually do something to stop it. The reason we have so much abortion in our nation is because of the government, it's because of the Supreme Court, because of that case. We got to flip it over. We got to get in the government. We got to flip it around. But this is nothing new. You all remember Satan killed babies in Moses' day, he killed babies in Jesus' day, and he's killing babies today through abortion. So let me make this plain for you. If you side with abortion, you side with Satan. And as followers of Jesus were to be sold out to accomplishing God's will on the earth. Under no circumstance would our Heavenly Father would our heavenly father approve of the slaughter of innocent life in the womb. God would never approve of that. And we all know it. So don't let anybody convince you that abortion is a good thing. They'll try. It is not a good thing. My Heavenly Father would never agree with that. And I'm here to accomplish his will. Amen. And woe Christians will try to sidetrack you by saying, Well, what about babies that will be born to terrible parents? Or, or in a terrible place? I want you to look at these people in the eye and I want you to tell them, so you're telling me it's okay to kill every baby that's not guaranteed a good life? Then why are you here? Really? Why are you here? And while you're at it, you can also tell them to stop promoting sexual perversion because if we could get everyone following God's design for sex, one man and one woman committed to each other in marriage, we wouldn't even be having this abortion issue. And most of all, guys, we have to start valuing children for the gift that they are. They're such a gift. They're not in the way. They're not a nuisance. They're a blessing from God. And parents, you were made for this. You were made for this. Is it a challenge to raise kids? And all the parents say, yeah, yeah, it's so hard. But God has equipped you to not just survive until you become an empty nester, Right? But to mentor your children to become mind-blowing men and women of God. Your kids are meant to walk with you through life, not be pushed aside while you live your life. They're meant to walk with you through life. There's no better time than now to just invite your kids to go on this journey with you called life. Bring them with you. And these are big assignments that I've just given you. So how do we accomplish this? How do we accomplish this? Jesus gives us the answer in Acts 1:8. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. With the Holy Spirit comes power and boldness to do what God has called you to do. You no longer bow down to intimidation, but you show up boldly with the truth. And you don't apologize when people don't like it, because I can promise you that people aren't going to like it but it's not going to bother you. We can't do this without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why I want to ask you today, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yep. Let's all just bow our heads right now. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to just ask him to fill you right where you sit. Ask him to fill you. Holy Spirit, fill me with power, with boldness. Holy Spirit, we're asking you today for a baptism of courage. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to give every person in this room complete clarity on what their assignment is in this. If it's to go to a school board meeting. Lord, I know you have a specific assignment for every person in this room. And often we just, we may hear it, he may give us our assignment and we We're like, oh, that must be my assignment. And then we dismiss it because it doesn't seem big enough. we got to stop doing that. Your assignment, no matter how big or how small, is crucial to God's will being accomplished on this earth. So God's assignment for you might be, you, you teach your kids the truth, period. That's not too small. That's exactly what you need to do. Man, y'all got to hear this. Just don't dismiss the small assignments. He's not looking for everybody to get in front of a church and preach or go to a school board and make a ruckus or. There's so many things that need to be done. And no assignment is more important than the other. But we all have to do it together. We all have to be obedient to whatever God asks us to do, day by day, moment by moment. When he says to say this, you say it. When he says to pray this, you pray it. When he says to do this, you do it. Absolute obedience. Absolute obedience. Don't make him move on to somebody else because you won't do it. If you're willing to dedicate yourself to absolute obedience, to whatever God has for you, whatever your assignment is, I want you to make that commitment to him right now between you and him to say, God, I, I commit myself to you. I commit myself to obedience. I'm going to listen when you ask me to do things. I'm going to listen when you tell me to say things. I'm going to listen to what you want me to pray. And I ask that you give me a spanking when I don't do it. Because I want nothing more than obedience. Go ahead and keep your heads bowed. There may be somebody listening right now, or maybe even somebody in the room who you've had an abortion and you're struggling with the regrets and the shame And I want you to know that there is nothing in the word of God that says that you can't be forgiven of that. Complete forgiveness is available to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I want you to make a choice now to step into forgiveness. Give your life to Jesus. Because you will see that baby in heaven. And I know it hurts. And I know you can't go back. You can't change it. But you can step into freedom. You can. Do it. Let Jesus take away your sin. Let him take it away. Let him fill you with his grace, with his love. Thank you, Lord. And if there's anybody listening right now who's yet to give your life to Jesus and you're ready, it's simple. Just tell him, Jesus, I give my life to you. I commit my life to you. I want to follow you. Show me your way. I trust your word. I trust that you, you are the word. I will follow you. I will follow the word. And let Jesus take away your sin because that's what he does. Let him take it away so that you can walk in freedom, walk in wholeness. And we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your freedom. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for taking away our sin for paying the price, for doing what needed to be done. And you gave us healing and you gave us wholeness and you made us new. We're not even the same person anymore. You gave us new life. And for that, we're grateful. So we look to you, Jesus, and we say thank you. And we glorify you and we worship you and we honor you, and we proclaim you, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are our Lord. My life is no longer my own. I will follow you. I die to myself, and I live for you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Isn't God good? He's good. Amen. Well, I have some books here today. If anybody hasn't yet got your book, maybe didn't come to the release party, you haven't ordered it online, I'd love to give you one. So just come up and see me after the service. I'll give you one. If you're watching online and you want the book, Jesus Ain't Woke, just go to jesusaintwoke.com, and you can order it there. Don't want to leave today without giving you guys an opportunity to give. If you're giving with cash or check today, raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. Or, of course, you can give online anytime. That's how most of you guys do it. And how you do that is just visit nolimits.fyi. There's a giving button there. It'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.